Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. It's been said that all roads lead to God. And this makes a certain amount of sense. In life, there are a thousand different ways to get where we're going. Winding scenic paths, wide, fast highways. We can walk or ride, drive or fly. Wrong turns and detours may slow us down, but sooner or later we make it. We get where we want to go. But there is a flaw in this way of thinking. The path to God is no road at all. It is a person. Well, if you've been coming for the month of April, you know that we've been in this series of messages that I've entitled, Is Jesus the Only Way? And today I want to wrap up uh, here in the month of April this thought about, is Jesus the only way? And I want to, first of all, just do a little review of what we talked about for the first four weeks. Week number one, we talked about, is Jesus the only way to what? You know, what is it that, that we're referring to when we say, is Jesus the only way? And I established for you how God's word establishes very clearly that there are not a multiple ways of getting to God. There's only one way to get to God. You see, the reason for that is because God chooses the way we get to him. Now, we want to choose the way we get to him. We want to have our own ideas, but God chooses the way we get to him. The way we broke our relationship with him was because of our sin. Now, the way back to him he chooses what that's going to be. And it reveals in Scripture that Jesus is the way that God has chosen through him that we come back into a right relationship with God. So that's another way of saying that Jesus is the only Savior, the only way to find spiritual salvation. Week number two, we talked about Jesus needing to die the way he died, how the Bible reveals that only through the shedding of blood is there the forgiveness of sin. Week number three, we talked about how the, the resurrection, it, I, like it, I like to look at it this way, was, it was God's stamp of approval that what Jesus did on the cross, in fact, paid the penalty for our sin so that if we commit our lives to Christ, give our hearts to Christ, we can have an assurance that God accepts us into his family. And it's not because we are worthy of that, but because Jesus has made us worthy because of his sacrifice on the cross. And the resurrection is God's stamp that he accepts you and me in Christ. And then last week, we talked about how the resurrection affects us today. And it was a, it was a great message. I don't mean that towards myself, but a great thought about how, how the resurrection 
is still working. It's still God's power in us working in our lives today, every single day. And that he, it says right there, the last part of Ephesians chapter one, that this resurrection power that is still working is available to help us. I don't know how many of you need help from God. I need help from God. This past week, as I was going through some issues in my own life, I was, I was focused on that scripture that said his power, his resurrection power has been given now to us today to help us. And I cried out to God for his help. See, I, I want you to know that this is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. This still works in 2017 on April the 30th, getting ready to go into May the 1st. God's presence is still alive and working in the lives of his people. Hallelujah. Yeah. Give him praise for that. Now, today I want to wrap up this series by talking with you about your future, about the future plan God has for you. Because we've been talking about what God does for us now. I want to talk about what Jesus being the way means about our future. Uh, the, the original question, is Jesus the only way? And I answered that question you know, four weeks ago uh, by defining the word way. Is Jesus the only way? And I define that word way to mean the way to get to God. So is Jesus the only way to get to God? In fact, that is the way Jesus defined the word uh, when in John 14, verse 6, where he said that he was the way, you're familiar with the scripture, the truth, and the life. And then he went on to say something pretty profound, pretty dynamic, something not very PC. He said, no one can come to the Father except through me. Again, we like to choose the way we're going to get to the Father. We, we want to choose the way we get to salvation. God says, it doesn't work that way. You're going to do what I choose because we're coming back to him. And so it's obvious that Jesus here in this verse is telling us that he is the only provision of God to reconnect ourselves spiritually back to him again. But I, I want to take us a different angle on this word way. All right, he is the way to salvation, but the word way can also refer to the future plan that God has for your life. He is the way to God's future for your life. When you read scripture, it is obvious that God's ultimate goal in our lives is not just to bless us here on earth, but his ultimate goal is to reunite us together with him in fellowship in heaven. And Jesus is the way for that to happen. So that's what I want to talk about with you today. The Bible tells us that human history is, all of human history is leading up to an event that will, that will rock our world and will rescue the church. And this event is called the rapture of the church. That's what I want to talk with you about. The way that God is going to take care of our future is through something called the rapture of the church. So let me explain what this means. The word rapture, it's not found in the Bible, so don't try to find it in a concordance. It comes from a Latin word. When, when, uh, when the original Greek New Testament was first translated into other languages, it was translated in Latin. And that's it, called the Latin Vulgate. It's, it's, a, it's a term that means uh, the, the word of God translated into Latin. And this word rapture uh, comes from a Latin word, which means to catch away 
or to seize, and it describes an event that is written about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me read these verses. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a mighty shout and with the soul-stirring cry of the archangel. I don't know what that exactly means, but it sounds powerful to me. And uh, the great trumpet call of God. And the believers who are dead will be the first to rise to meet the Lord. So people who are already in the grave, they're going to be the first to go up. Then we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up with them, with the dead people, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. So comfort each other or encourage each other with this news. Now, I underlined two words in verse number 17, and they're the words caught up. Now, that's the English translation of the Latin, and the Latin word is rapto. That, that's not the latest uh, dinosaur they found out here in Eastern Europe, or Eastern Utah, rather. It, it's, it's a, it's a uh, Latin word from which we get the word, guess what, rapture, okay, in English. So the word rapture comes from a Latin word that means to be caught up. But the Greek, or excuse me, the book of 1 Thessalonians was written in Greek, not in Latin. I already said that just a moment ago. So when you go back to the Greek that is translated caught up here, I won't give you that Greek word necessarily, but we, it, it's interesting, sometimes certain languages will give broader definitions than just one exact word to another language. I think you know what I mean. There, there can be a, a, a word in, in, in Spanish that can maybe have four different English translations, or there can be a, a word in English that can have four different Spanish translations. The same thing is true in Greek. A biblical Greek can expand on, on our understanding of what this whole thing called the rapture is about. And so I wanted to go back into the biblical Greek and not necessarily talk about the Greek word, but give you the, the amplified uh, understanding of what this whole idea of the rapture is going to mean. First of all, it will mean to catch away speedily, very quickly. So it means that it's going to happen so fast that this thing's going to be over before people realize that it's even taken place. You know, I, I've heard people say that don't want to serve God. Well, I know that Jesus is coming, and I know that the rapture is going to, I know there's going to be a trumpet call of God. I know all about that, and, but I'm not really interested in serving Jesus right now. But when I hear the trumpet, then I'm going to make things right with Jesus real fast, and I'm going to, and I, so I can go up to heaven in the rapture. The, the first thing I want to tell you is the only people that will hear the trumpet call and the archangel cry out like that are going to be people who are right with God, people who are saved. People who don't know Jesus won't hear a thing. It'll be boom, it'll be over with before they even recognize what will take place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, Paul says it's going to happen this way. In the twinkling of an eye. In the, now, how fast is the twinkling of an eye? I have no idea. But I will give you a, I'll give you a scenario that I think will probably be pretty accurate. Let's just say that you are an unbeliever here today. And there are probably are several who have never committed their lives to Christ that are here in the, in the audience this morning. And we are glad that you are here. But if the rapture takes place before the end of the service, this is what's going to happen. You will blink. And when you open your eyelid, True believers of Christ will be gone. Seats that are occupied right now will be empty. That's how fast 
this thing will take place. So it, the Greek word means to catch away speedily. So you're going to be caught up, but it's going to happen fast. Secondly, it means to seize by force. In other words, nothing can stop Jesus from getting his church. He's coming back for his church, which takes us into the third, um, the, the, the third meaning, which is to claim for one's own self. So this is Jesus coming to claim his bride. You know, we sang about that uh, this morning. Like a bride waiting for the groom will be the church ready for you. You know, we sang those words this morning. Uh, the Bible calls us several different things uh, as, as uh, followers of Christ. It calls us followers of Christ. It calls us believers. It calls us disciples. It calls us the body of Christ. Another word it uses for Christians is... Uh, is the bride of Christ. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. And when he comes back, the bride is going to rise, both those who have died already and those who are still living. Those true believers are going to rise to meet the bridegroom. And so Jesus is coming back to claim his bride, and we will be that bride. Number four, it means to move to a new place. So according to John 14, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and he's been working on that place for 2,000 years. This place must be spectacular that we're going to. Think about it. For 2,000 years, he's been working on it. Then number five, it means to rescue from danger. Now, this is one reason why I believe that the rapture will take place before a time of great judgment on the earth that the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. There are believers that have different interpretations of the Bible about this, and some claim that the rapture will happen in the middle time of the Great Tribulation. I'm going to talk about that more later. Uh, and some believe that uh, the rapture will take place at the end of the tribulation period. I believe it'll happen before the great tribulation. And one of the reasons is the very word that is used in Greek means in English to rescue us from danger. So this great tribulation period is going to be a time of great danger, of great judgment that will come upon the earth. In fact, it's going to have judgment from two different sources. The first source will be from God himself. The Bible, the Bible, the book of Revelation in particular calls or talks about the cup of God's wrath uh, filling up and flowing over onto the earth, the wrath of God spilling out upon the earth. Uh, and then it also talks about Satan's wrath being unleashed. As bad as things are in the world today, folks, I want you to know that when that, that Satan is right now being restrained from everything he wants to do. In that day, he's going to be able to do everything that he wants to do. It's, it's going to be unrestrained. The wrath of Satan, the wrath of God will be upon the planet during this time called the Great Tribulation. But I want you to understand that God's people will be raptured away, will be rescued before the Great Tribulation takes place. And that's why I believe it'll, it'll in that pre-tribulation rapture because it means to rescue us from danger. What great insight the Greek gives us into this great event that's about to take place. Now, there are many scriptures that talk about 
the, uh, the coming uh, of the Lord and the rapture of believers. Let me just give you a couple of those. First of all, from Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, the Word of God says, He, meaning Jesus, was taken up into a cloud while they, meaning the disciples, were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here uh, staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. All right, this is his ascension after his resurrection. He's gone back to heaven, which is where he's at. But listen to this. Someday he's going to return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming again. Let me take you back, secondly, to John chapter 14. Here Jesus himself is speaking. It says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, because in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and get you and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. So in both of these scriptures, the Lord is encouraging us with the fact that he is coming again for his people, for his bride. But what does the Bible reveal about the details of the coming of the Lord? Well, there are a lot of details given in the Bible. We don't have time for all of it. I want to give you three of the details, the things that the Bible talks about regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first one would be this. The Bible tells us that Jesus will come when the world is like the days of Noah. Some of you may be new in the faith and you don't know who Noah is, so let me just give you the Reader's Digest version. Noah was a righteous man living at a very unrighteous time in the world. People were so unrighteous that God sent judgment upon the whole earth, and the Bible tells us that the whole earth was covered by a great judgment of, of water, a great flood, and this flood covered the whole surface of the earth and it killed all air-breathing people and animals, except for Noah and his family, and then two of every kind of animal, air-breathing animal, one male and one female. And the long story short of his story is they all survived this great flood while the rest of the world perished. And if you want to read the details about that, you can read it in, in Genesis chapter 7. Now, in Luke, go to the New Testament, Luke chapter 17, verse number 20. Some Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, when will the kingdom of God come? Now, what these Pharisees were looking for was the destruction of the Roman Empire. And so they're coming to Jesus. They're saying, when are you going to put Rome down? When is Israel going to be the, the, on, on top again? When are they going to be the top dog again? When are we going to be, when, you know, when will all of this, God's favor return to God's people in Israel? When will this happen? But Jesus told them that the kingdom of God and this is important for you to understand, it's not a matter of politics, and it's not a matter of national dominance. The kingdom of God is a matter of the heart. 
That's why religion is not important. God always looks at the heart of the individual. You can be tremendously religious and not have a heart that's bonded to God and not be ready for the rapture of the church. You've got to give Jesus your heart. Then, see, it's not a matter of you doing the right things. It's a matter of you believing and receiving Jesus. When you believe in him and receive him as your Savior, then you do the right things by and large. The Holy Spirit helps you to do that. But it's not a matter of religious rules. It's not a matter of any national dominance. It's a matter of the heart of people. And in verse number 21 there of Luke chapter 17, Jesus says the kingdom of God is already here among us. Uh, He says, in fact, it's within you, not in a civil government sense. It's, it's It's not about civil government. It's about heart government. Who is going to govern your heart? Who calls the shots in your heart? Who is going to control your soul? Is it you or is it God? You can be very religious, but if you're calling the shots, then God isn't. And that means Jesus is not preeminent in your life and is not your Savior, your Lord. But if it's God, then the kingdom of God is already within you. It lives within you. Now, having said that, that this thing is primarily about the heart, Jesus did go on and acknowledge that the time will come when God will bring to an end the godless, unrighteous governments of the world that we see today. And this is what he said the world would be like when all of this is going to take place. We're going to pick it up in verse number 26. When the Son of Man returns, he says, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. Now, he's not talking about floods. He's not talking about water here. He's talking about the spiritual heart of people. When the Son of Man gets ready to come, this is what the spiritual heart of people is going to be like. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat, and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating, drinking, buying, selling, farming, building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed that city, destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Now, Again, if, if you don't know that what happened, Lot and his family, who Lot was a nephew of Abraham, they were living in Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah, two different cities, were extremely immoral cities. And God's judgment was coming. And so God sent an angel to warn Lot to get out of town, get out of Dodge. It's time to get out. And he finally pulled them out And God said, run for the hills, but don't look back. But Lot's wife looked back. What that was revealing was her heart was back there. And and judgment fell upon her. And the Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt immediately like that. And some people say, oh, that's just a bogus story. That's a wild idea. But Jesus confirms that that's exactly what took place. He said, remember Lot's wife. And if you cling to your life, you will lose it. If you let your life go, you will save it. 
That night, two people will be asleep in one bed, and one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. He's not talking here that 50% of the people will go and 50 won't. He's talking about people whose hearts are right will go. People whose hearts are not right will not be ready. When will this happen, or where will this happen, Lord? The disciples are asking him this now. And Jesus replied, just as the gathering of vultures shows there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. So Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be at the time of his coming. Well, how was it during that time? Well, Noah's day is described in three ways in Scripture. Jesus shares part of the description, and then the book of Genesis shares part of the description. First of all, in, in going to what Jesus just gave, gave us uh, that we read, at the time of Noah, they were oblivious to what was to come. So in other words, people weren't thinking at all about eternity. They were thinking only about, you know, about their lives, having fun, the party life, and so forth. Um, th that's, that's what the focus was on at this particular time. And, and Jesus said, sudden destruction came upon them right up until the time that Noah entered the ark, the floodwaters covered the earth. The people were acting like, like everything was always going to stay the same. Well, are people acting like that today? Are they oblivious to what is coming? You have to answer that for yourself. I think it's, it, they are. There seems to be no fear of accountability today to the law whether it's civil law, the law of man, or whether we're talking about spiritual laws, the law of God. People act like they can do whatever they want, say whatever they want, without consequence, just like Noah's day was. All right, so we should take note of that. Another description of the time just before the coming of the Lord is given by Jesus. He said the party life will be in full swing. And of course, this is a reference to the moral decay of Noah's day, of Lot's day. So is that happening today? I think the answer is obvious on that one. Uh, and that's how Jesus described Noah's time, Noah's day. There's this third description of Noah's day that's given to us over in the book of Genesis, and it's found in chapter 6, verse number 11. It says, God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. Violence was another description of the time of Lot. Have you noticed the increase of violence today? There's no place that is safe from it. We, we are horrified at what we see happening in America and around the world. Malls are not safe. Homes are not safe. The workplace is not safe. Streets certainly aren't safe. Seems to me that people are angrier today than they have ever been before. Of course, terrorism is all over the place. It's like, to me, it feels like a fuse has been lit and it's setting people off. Now, personally, I think this violence has demonic origins. It's coming right out of hell. And that's the way it was for Noah. That's the way it was in Lot's time. And that's the, what we're seeing happening today. So Jesus said, when you see the world becoming like it was in Noah's day, get ready. Jesus is coming soon, like we sang. Now, the second thing I want to share with you is this. The Bible tells us that we can't know the date, but we can read the signs. 
And he's not talking about going to uh, some, some person who gives fortune tell, you know, does fortune tell, reads your palm and all that stuff, or the, the, uh, the deal in the newspaper. He's not talking about that. He's talking about being aware of what's going on. And so Jesus said in Matthew 24, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels of heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So there's nobody here on earth that knows when Jesus is coming for sure. Um, but we can know the season, what appears to be, and, and we can sense what the Holy Spirit is saying in our heart. Matthew 24, verse 32, Jesus said, now learn a lesson from the fig tree when its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout. You know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you know that his return is very near. It's right at the door. And we're in that season right now where we see trees budding, you know, and it's getting ready to, to produce fruit. Jesus said, we can read that, but we can't read the signs of the time. You know, we need to be looking out here and say, you know what, what's happening is beginning to crumble. The world's beginning to crumble. We've got to make sure we have our hearts ready because uh, it, it, it's, it's soon. First Thessalonians 5 says, about the time everybody's walking around complacently congratulating each other, we've sure got it made, now we can take it easy. Suddenly, everything will fall apart. It's going to come as suddenly and as inescapably as birth pains upon a pregnant woman. The King James Version translates that in the end part of that verse as then sudden destruction will come upon them. So we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but we can read the signs and we can say, you know what? It looks to me that Jesus is getting ready to come. We got to be ready. Third thing I want to tell you is this, that the Bible tells us what will happen uh, when he comes. For those of us who are ready for him to come, we're going to be raptured and reunited with our Savior, Jesus Christ. We will, we will be about our business probably as usual and serving Jesus and loving God and doing our, our, daily, our daily life, and suddenly the trumpet's going to sound and you're going to be gone. Boom! Just like that. We talked about it suddenly. We'll be caught up together with the Lord. And 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says we're going to forever be with the Lord. But for those who are left behind... They're going to enter into a time called in the Bible the Great Tribulation. Uh, I'm going to go through this real quickly. The Bible says that a one-world government will be established under a man the Bible calls Antichrist. This will happen because nobody knows what to do with everything that's happening in the world. And there will be one man who will emerge who will seem to have all of the answers. The Bible calls him Antichrist. Anti means against because he will be against God, but he won't appear to be that way. He will appear to be a savior for everybody. They'll flock to him, and they'll turn over the keys to the cities. He will become the ruler of the world. And the Bible tells us that anyone during this great tribulation that comes to the Lord, gives their heart to Christ, will be hunted down by the, the forces of Antichrist, will be persecuted, some of them even to death. But anyone who decides to follow the Antichrist and swear allegiance to him will be eternally lost. After seven years, this tribulation will culminate in a great battle called the Battle of Armageddon, where the armies of the world will, will unite together to come against the people of Israel to try to destroy Israel. And just as it seems that Israel's going to be lost, 
Jesus is going to come, only this time he's not coming back in the clouds. He's going to come with the armies of heaven. He's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives, uh, and he is going to destroy all the armies of the world that have come against God's people and establish, hallelujah, he's going to establish a 1,000-year rule of peace called the millennial reign of Christ. And if you want to know more about that, you can read Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 20. So, where does that leave us today? Simply this, every one of us need to make a decision with our life. Now you say, I'm not going to make a decision. Well, to make no decision is to make a decision. Will you serve God or not? Will, Will you make Jesus your Lord and Savior or not? Will you be ready for the future plan that God has for his people that is about to break in upon us or not. Now, this is what the Bible says. It has nothing to do with prophecy. It has to do with right now. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Now is the time of God's favor, right now. Now is the day of salvation. Oh, I'll wait till I hear the trumpet. Nope, won't work. I'll wait till next week. I'll wait till next year. I want to do some stuff first, you know. You can do that. And maybe by God's grace, it works out for you. But many, many people have made that same choice only to find that they were in eternity much sooner than they thought. You say, Pastor Jim, is Jesus coming today? I don't know. I hope so. Is he coming this week, this month, this year? I don't know. I just know that the signs seem to be telling us that Jesus is coming soon. And you want to be ready for this one. You want to be ready. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.